My brothers and sisters in the Lord, there is that old spiritual that asks this very familiar question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? There's a question that has been asked throughout the ages, and every generation has provided its own answer. You and I must answer it as well. Were we there? Were we there when they crucified our Lord? My friends, we know the cast of the original Good Friday drama. They are listed in St. John's telling of the Passion narrative. Judas Iscariot was there. He definitely was instrumental in crucifying Jesus. St. John tells us that Judas came to the garden where Jesus went to pray got in a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Even worse, he betrayed him with a kiss. Was it greed that led Judas to such a desperate act? Perhaps greed is a powerful motivator but 30 pieces of silver wasn't really a whole lot of money. Maybe, G maybe Judas had another motive. Perhaps, on the other hand, Judas wanted to force Jesus' hand. Judas wanted to hurry the coming of the kingdom in which he would be a part of the inner circle, a kingdom in which he would have a high office. That is the unfortunate result of excessive ambition. It's happened before, and it will happen again. Archbishop Fulton Sheen once told of a colleague in China, Bishop Ford, who died a martyr's death in a communist prison camp in 1952. A religious sister who was imprisoned with Bishop Ford gives us a picture of his last days. She writes, and I quote, his hair was long and white and his beard matted his face drawn and pale from torture. Wherever Bishop Ford was given a walk, whenever Bishop Ford was given a walk outside of the prison, being unable to support himself, he leaned on two fellow prisoners. Then came the day of the death march. He was put in line between two other prisoners. The Chinese communist colonel who had seized the chapel tied a sack around Bishop Ford's neck, weighing over 20 pounds. They tied it in such a way that the rope would tighten as the bishop walked. How did Bishop Ford come to such a fate? The sister continues. The bishop's cook, who was Chinese, who had served him for many years, and whom he regarded as a good friend and a good Christian, was the man who delivered Bishop Ford over to the communist authorities and falsely accused him. Despite the fact that he knew how the bishop had brought solace to the sick and buried the dead, he nevertheless delivered him over to suffering. The reward the cook received was to be made the chief of police of the village. After Bishop Ford's martyrdom, the former cook went back to the chapel, threw a rope over a rafter, and hung himself. Betrayal happens, my friends. 
It happens in organizations, it happens in families, it happens in businesses, and it happens in church communities. Can there be any sin more grievous than betraying a friend? But even in this grief, Judas needed to open his heart to the mercy of God. He needed to hear the words of St. Paul where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. As Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI noted in 2006 in his Holy Thursday homily, and I quote, Judas is the clearest example of someone who refuses God's saving love. For Judas, only power and success are real. Love does not count. He breaks with the truth and becomes incapable of conversion and throws away his life. Yes, my friends, Judas was there when they crucified my Lord. Simon Peter was there as well. When the soldiers came to take Jesus, Peter tried to defend him with his sword. He struck the high priest's servant, a man named Malchus, cutting off his right ear. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword back into its scabbard. Shall I not drink of the cup that the Father has given me? When Jesus was arrested, Peter followed the master and the soldiers at a distance. And then before the cock crowed, Peter denied his Lord three times. Where was Peter when the crosses were raised on Golgotha? Nobody knew. Peter was not in sight. He was in hiding. But Peter was there just as surely as Judas was there. It scarcely seems possible, my friends, that Peter, the rock upon which the church is built, would have so disappointed the master. Peter was present every time Jesus performed a miracle or spoke a parable. Peter was there with James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was revealed once and for all as the beloved Son of God. Peter was given the keys to the kingdom and the power to bind and loosen. How could Simon Peter deny he ever knew Jesus? Peter's sin came about in a moment of weakness. He was weak, as sometimes you and I are weak. It's not that we go out seeking to do evil, seeking to deny Jesus. It's just that when temptation comes, we are simply too weak to resist it. We have not prepared ourselves spiritually to fight against the temptation to stand strong and steadfast when the wind of temptation blows, to fight against the lure of the evil one. We don't like to admit it, but we're weak. As St. Paul reminds us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Peter, like all of us, had moments of weakness and moments of doubt. But Peter grew through his mistakes and reformed his life. Despite our sinfulness, Jesus forgives us and has confidence in us. In the second letter to Timothy, we read, We may be unfaithful, but he is always faithful, for he cannot deny his own self. Jesus does not lock us in because of the mistakes of the past or present, but he gives us room to experience conversion. As St. Paul notes, for anyone who is in Christ, is a new creation. The old creation has passed away and now the new one is here. Yes, my friends, Peter was there when they crucified my Lord. Pontius Pilate was there also. Pilate didn't want to be responsible for Christ's death. 
He tried to avoid sentencing Jesus to death by offering the crowd the choice of Barabbas or Jesus. Barabbas is Aramaic for son of the father. Ironic, my friends. Jesus was the true son of the father. But that was the choice the crowd was given. Barabbas or Jesus. And they chose the false son of the father. Barabbas was a small-time insurrectionist. He plotted against the government. He was probably popular with the people because of his opposition to Roman rule. So the crowd chose Barabbas to pardon and Jesus to execute. Pilate's ploy fails, and so he washes his hands of the whole affair. He washes his hands of the chance to do the right thing. He washes his hands of the true Son of God, though deep in his heart he knew that Jesus was who he said he was. In his heart, it's obvious that Pilate knew Jesus was innocent and not deserving to die, but he lacked the moral will to do the right thing. Pontius Pilate was there when they crucified my Lord. There was someone that you may not have thought about who was there as well when they crucified the Master, Nicodemus. Do you remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus was there when they crucified my Lord. Nicodemus was a prominent Pharisee who had come to Jesus at night. He entered into a deep theological discussion with Jesus on matters such as the kingdom of God and God sending his son into the world to save humanity from its evil ways. It was Nicodemus to whom the Lord spoke those words about not being able to see the kingdom of God unless he was born again. Chapter 7 of St. John's Gospel contains a wonderful story about Jesus' presence at the Feast of Tabernacles, not long before his arrest and crucifixion. The soldiers, at the urging of the religious elite, were already watching out for Jesus. He slipped by them in the temple and began teaching, and everyone was astonished by his teaching. This, of course, infuriated the religious authorities. They confronted the temple guards and asked them, why did you not bring him in? Never before has anyone spoken like this one, the guards replied. Have you also been deceived? The authorities retorted. At this point, Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council, steps forward and asks, does our law condemn a man before it first hears him and finds out what he is doing? Can you imagine how courageous this was on Nicodemus's part? Notice how the Pharisees respond to his question. They replied, Are you not from Galilee? Also are you? Look and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They were indirectly accusing Nicodemus of being one of Jesus' followers. It appears that Nicodemus got the hint. Like the disciples of Jesus, he seems to fade into the woodwork during the rest of the Passion narrative. Fear probably got the best of him. Like Jesus' disciples, he probably wished later that he had done more. But he did do one thing. After Jesus had died, it was Nicodemus, this wealthy and prominent Pharisee, who helped Joseph of Arimathea get Jesus' body to the tomb. According to St. John's Gospel, Nicodemus procured a very large quantity of myrrh and aloe for Jesus' burial. These were expensive perfumes, which surely cost Nicodemus a small fortune. It was a small gesture performed too late, but it was undoubtedly a heartfelt gesture of a man who was on his way, 
a man on the journey to be what the master wanted him to be. Nicodemus was there when they crucified my Lord. There were other minor characters who were also there when they crucified Jesus, including the mob that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Boorish people stirred to hatred by molders of public opinion who had their own selfish agenda. Those individuals, like those molders of public opinion, are still around today crucifying Christ time after time with their anger and their hatred and their greed. There were many others who were there when Christ was crucified. Herod, that diabolical monarch, was there, as were the soldiers who gambled for Christ's garments while he hung on the cross, and the thieves who died on either side of Jesus. Who else was there when they crucified my Lord? I invite you, my friends, just to imagine for a moment, use your Catholic imagination and picture St. John and our Blessed Mother at the foot of the cross. For they too were there when they crucified the Lord. Mary leaned her head against St. John and together they sank to the ground. There at the foot of the cross, there beneath the God who died, St. John, the best and dearest friend of Jesus, holding Mary, the mother of the Lord. Together, they looked up at the hope of the world. The sky was black, lightning, lightning streaked across the heavens, the very earth shook, and the rain fell. A soldier climbed up the ladder with a hammer. He pounded the back of the cross. That was when the first bloody nail fell. And maybe St. John caught it. He held it to his chest and wept. But Mary took her hand and touched his face and lifted him up. The Lord has need. And the second nail falls to the ground. As the body of Christ slumped toward the earth, St. John caught Jesus and held him for a moment as the soldier pounded out the nail that held his feet. As the last nail came to the ground, St. John lowered the body of Christ and gave him to his mother. And there in the rain, she held Jesus, a wordless cry echoing from her lips. She rocked back and forth, holding the lifeless body of the son she bore, silently saying there on the hill of Calvary, let it be done according to thy will. And St. John could not look at this most private of public moments, a mother and her son. And so he looked at the ground where the three nails lay, and he watched as the rain washed the blood of way. You see, my friends, the question of the day is, of course, where were they, where were we, when they crucified our Lord? And the answer, my friends, is that yes, we were there, as was all humanity. Anyone who has ever been cowardly and given into the crowd anyone who has ever kept silent in the face of bigotry and persecution, anyone who has ever been weak when you knew you should have been strong and resisted temptation, was there encouraging this, the most tragic crime in history. We look to Jesus bruised, beaten, and bloody. It is difficult for us to face this ugliness. He is almost unrecognizable, carrying the burden of our sins. Many people would prefer to ignore his death and just proceed to his resurrection. But we cannot have one without the other. We need to accept the responsibility for what we have done. 
Every time I look at the cross, I realize that it was my sins that put Jesus there. I did it just like you did it, and we all continue to do it, crucifying the Lord of glory. Sometimes we don't like to think about it in that way. It was for our sins, though, that he died. If I didn't put him there, what is he saving me from? The reason why this day is so powerful, my friends, is because we are forced to acknowledge that the cross reaches through time and touches us with the fact that it was for our sins Jesus dies for, our iniquities he bore, and gave his life as a ransom for many. Actor and director Mel Gibson had that remarkable accomplishment in the film The Passion of Christ. In the film, Gibson makes the point that all of us were there when Christ was crucified. None is exempt. Gibson, the actor, does not appear in the film, but his hand does. At the crucifixion, he holds the nail to be driven in the hand of Christ, and he holds the hammer that drives it in. He is saying, it is my sin that nailed him to the cross. The tragedy of Good Friday is that an innocent man has been given a death sentence because of our sin. Jesus is guilty of only one crime. He loves us. He came to announce the kingdom and showed us many times in the gospel how the coming of the kingdom will offer us peace and joy beyond measure if we forgive one another and do the will of the Father. He looked at our sins and weaknesses and then we look at Jesus. Our response was simple, crucify him. Nothing is more tragic than unreciprocated love, and that is what Jesus suffers today. While the prophet Isaiah foretold we would reject his love, Jesus still surrendered all of it to the Father for us, so that even though we would reject it, we might come to embrace it through this sacrifice. Love always has hope. Love always forgives. Love always transforms. We were all there, but the perfect sacrifice of the Son of God shows its true power today. The power of sin and death is destroyed by the wood of the cross. The despair caused by injustice and division is healed by the death of the Son of God who hangs on the cross between heaven and earth, uniting once again by his sacrifice God and the human race. The generosity of the Son of God who surrenders himself into our hands overcomes our selfish desires to hold on to everything, whatever the cost. Today, my friends, we must stand at the foot of the cross like St. John and our Blessed Mother, and we must weep. We must be touched deeply. We must feel, not guilt, for we know we are guilty, but gratitude. Gratitude for the fact that though guilty, we are saved by him who loves us. When you come forward to reverence the cross, to venerate it, remember who died there and what that means and feel gratitude. Jesus saved us. There is no sin we have committed that he cannot forgive. All we need to do is seek and accept that forgiveness in the sacrament of reconciliation. There is no suffering. No sickness, no trial, so great that we cannot overcome it, for he shows us the way. He is the man of sorrow. On his shoulders he carries our sadness and grief, and because he did this, we have hope. We bury Christ today, and it is a sad moment, 
With St. John, we wash, we watch the rain wash the blood on the nails away. With Mary, we cradle the dead body of the Lord. Were you there? There on the hill of Calvary, with an empty cross, and a mother with gray-streaked hair dripping in the rain as she holds her son. With the young apostle John behind her, holding her as well, the whole world pauses in silence. Today is a day of tragedy and triumph, surrender and victory. We often do not connect these two realities, but today they are one and the same. We live in a world where evil seems to prevail over good. Division seems to prevail over unity, and hatred seems to prevail over love. All of that changes today through the death of Jesus on the cross. The power of darkness has done its utmost. Satan has killed the Christ, and the world holds its collective breath. Who won? Who lost? This is the stillness we feel this afternoon here in this church. But as you come to venerate the cross, you will have your answer. For you and I were there. We're here, my friends, not to remember a defeat, but to remember a victory. Behold the wood of the cross on which hung the salvation of the world. Come, let us worship. 